God planted a garden. After the majestic order and scope of Genesis 1, we get a different angle on creation in Genesis 2. A zoomed-in view that focuses on God's intentional caretaking as well as humans and our place in God's creation. Hi, welcome to First 15, our podcast where we listen to God's Word, we pray and meditate over it, and then we live it out in our lives. I'm Ron, and I'm going to be your guide on this journey. I grew up on the edge of a medium-sized town in New Mexico. It wasn't a farm, though, just a regular house with a fenced-in yard and neighbors right next to us on both sides. My parents planted a vegetable garden in our backyard a few times when I was young, and there is just something about garden-ripe produce that if you haven't ever tasted it or had it, you're missing out on something. Now, as an adult, I've myself tried planting a garden several times. I've always failed. In 2020, as we experienced lockdown at home, I tried again to grow garden vegetables. I worked at it. I really did. But the results were very modest. We didn't eat many garden-ripe vegetables last year. Today, we're going to read about God's first garden, a lush world of beauty and goodness, totally unlike my failed efforts at planting a garden. First 15 podcast is brought to you by Word of Prayer. If you're new to our podcast, welcome. In season five of our podcast, we're learning to listen and pray through the most common type of literature in the Bible, narrative or Bible stories. God created the heavens and the earth. That's what Genesis 1 in verse 1 tells us. The earth was formless and empty. God, by his spirit, gave it order as well as inhabitants. In Genesis 1, God creates all the building blocks, light and darkness, water, land, and sky, sun, moon, and stars, plants, animals, and humans. And he declared it all good. Humans are made in God's image and told to go multiply and fill the earth, to rule over God's good creation. And then he rested from his work of creation. Now that's the view from above, from 30,000 feet. It is creation on an epic scale, seen from really a global level. It's followed by a ground level view of creation, a zoomed in view that I mentioned earlier, something that's more up close and personal. In Genesis 2, it's the story of creation again, but told on a human scale. Let's listen to the creation story from Genesis chapter 2, verses 4 through 25. I'm going to leave some of the words in this story untranslated from Hebrew so you can hear this story in a fresh way. So let's listen to this now. This is the story of the generation of the heavens and the earth when they were created. At the time Yahweh God made the earth and the heavens, No plant of the field was yet in the land, and no herb of the field had yet sprung up, for Yahweh God had not caused it to rain on the earth. There was not a man to work the ground, but a mist rose up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Yahweh God formed Adam, man, from the dust of the Adamah, the ground, 
and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Yahweh God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the Adam whom he had shaped. Out of the Adamah, the ground, Yahweh God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, including the tree of life in the middle of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from there it was parted and became the source of four rivers. The name of the first is Pishon. It flows through the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold, and the gold of that land is good. Bdellium and onyx stone are also found there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It is the same river that flows through the whole land of Cush. The name of the third river is Tigris. This is the one which flows to the east of Assyria. The fourth river is the Euphrates. Yahweh God took Adam and put him into the Garden of Eden to serve and to keep or guard it. Yahweh God commanded the Adam, saying, You may freely eat of every tree of the garden, but you shall not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. Yahweh God said, It is not good for the Adam to be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the Adamah, Yahweh God formed every animal of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever the Adam called every living creature, that became its name. The Adam gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the sky and to every animal of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. Yahweh God caused the Adam to fall into a deep sleep. As the Adam slept, God took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Yahweh God made an Isha, a woman, from the rib which he had taken from the Adam and brought her to the Adam. The Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This will be called Isha because she was taken out of Ish, man. This one was. Therefore, an Ish will leave his father and his mother and will join with or stick to his Isha, and they will be one flesh. The Adam and his Isha were both naked and they were not ashamed at all. In the beginning, nothing can compete with the creation account in Genesis 1. So why does Genesis 2 sound a little bit like a repeat of chapter 1 with a few elaborations? Some people have claimed the Bible is naive and primitive literature. Now that's a skeptical view. Other people have said that you have two different accounts of creation that just got smashed together here. 
Another way to see it is that this is an artistic and intentional arrangement that is trying to tell us something. Maybe there's more than what immediately meets our eyes. And really, that's my way of looking at this. And it fits with a general view of the Bible as ancient meditation literature. The Bible in multiple places tells us that it's meant to be studied and meditated upon. Now, where does it say that? Well, Psalm 1 and Psalm 119 are two places, but also Joshua 1 and Deuteronomy 6 all emphasize the role and the practice of meditating on God's Word, of really taking it to heart, taking it deep inside of us like food that we chew on, that we digest, and that becomes a part of us. I'm also reminded, the very first episode that we did for verse 15, episode 1, where we demonstrated our four-step process of how to read and meditate on Scripture, we used Psalm 1, and I find it more than just a coincidence that someone uses the metaphor of a garden as it contrasts the way of the wicked and the way of the righteous. Let me just remind you, it says, blessed is the one who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree planted by rivers of water that bears its fruit in its season and whose leaf does not wither, everything he does prospers. And so the picture in Psalm 1 of a righteous person is someone who not just meditates on God's word, but himself is like a tree planted in a garden, well watered, just like what we read about in Genesis 2. So let's begin with things that were emphasized in this creation story that reinforce or underline what we've heard already in Genesis 1 on the last episode of verse 15. First of all, God creates the land good. And that word good is repeated and emphasized several times in chapter 2, just like it was in chapter 1. So this is a very idyllic garden. It's well watered. It's full of trees loaded with food. It's got good gold in it. So the goodness of this garden is really emphasized and heightened, just like the goodness of God's creation was emphasized at the end of almost every day in Genesis 1. We also see in chapter 2, just like we did in chapter 1, that God created mankind as man and woman, or male and female, and together they bear God's image. God provides food for all living creatures, and the breath of life is mentioned. All of these things are common elements that are said or stated in both Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. Now, We do get details in chapter 2 about the relationship between man and woman, as well as how God intended relationship to be, and how God actually saw that living in relationship was better than being alone, and that marriage itself was given as a blessing to mankind. So that's a little bit of elaboration that comes in chapter 2. We didn't get the full details of that in chapter 1. Let me just recap. These two themes 
good or goodness and also relationship are key points that get emphasis in Genesis chapter 2. Now, let me put this in the larger context that we're focusing on here in season 5 of First 15, which is how to read Bible stories or Bible narrative. We've already said before, all stories have a setting. And where the setting of Genesis 1 was the global scale of heavens and earth, that was its setting. The setting of Genesis 2 is the personal scale, a garden, specifically Eden, which in Hebrew means delight. And we're given key details about its location in the east, as well as the names of four rivers that come forth out of the one river that waters the garden called Eden. Now, we can only link two of those with known rivers today. So the exact location of Eden isn't something that we have access to, though we can locate it within the general area of what we call the Middle East today. What about characters? Besides setting, character is another part of stories. And man is the main character. Man is called Adam in Hebrew. And the link between this Hebrew word for man, Adam, and the ground, the Adama, is something that the story plays with in an ongoing play on these two words. That's one reason why I read it with some of those words untranslated so that you could catch on to that word play that's there in the Hebrew. Now, we call the first man Adam. That's the way it's usually pronounced in English, like it's a proper noun. But the text actually calls him man. Adam in Hebrew means man. And so it's not that Adam is a proper noun like Adam and Eve. We don't even get the name Eve until chapter 3. And in fact, Adam names his wife Isha, the Hebrew word for woman, which can also mean wife. It doubles, does double duty, woman or wife. Meanwhile, the other Hebrew word for man or person is the word ish, found twice in verses 22 and 23. And so man is Adam, which emphasizes his material beginnings, coming from the Adama, the ground or the dust that God shaped him out of. And even that verb of shaping, God shaping Adam, is the same verb that's often used for a potter working with clay, In chapter 2, God then breathes life into Adam. Man is also, though, Ish, in close and intimate relation with Isha, with woman. So, the characters of this story, man, woman, and God. Where is the plot or the conflict in Genesis 2? Well, the setting is God's good garden, stocked with food and well-watered. It's not empty, because God filled it with all kinds of creatures. But then a conflict arises. For the first time, God says something is not good. Up to this point, everything that God has, has created, he's called it good. But there is something that is not good. It's not good that man is alone. 
And so the search is on for a helper that matches him. And of all the animals, the cattle, the birds, and the living creatures that are in the garden, none of them work as a suitable companion or helper to be with Adam. And so the conflict increases. What's going to happen? Well, God steps in and shapes a helper, a match for the man built of the same stuff that he is. The man is overjoyed at the resolution to this problem or this conflict. He stammers and he struggles to find words suited for the occasion. This is not as obvious in translation, but in Hebrew, you can just really pick up on the joy and how Adam is at a loss for words and how he's just, he says, this, this, this thing, you know, I'm just, it's just, you know, it's like you could just sense the anticipation, the excitement and the joy at, at Adam first encountering Isha, woman. He names her Isha. And then this story, this part of the story ends with both of them in a good place. It in fact says they are naked and unashamed. There is goodness. There's rich life and intimate relationship. Everything just as God intended it. Pause and just let that soak in. And in the midst of all this, there is great freedom for Adam and Isha to rule creation, as well as a clear instruction for them. It's in the middle of chapter 2 in verses 15 to 17. God put man into the garden to serve, that is to worship, and also to guard, to keep Eden. The verbs in Hebrew, to serve, and to keep, that are found in verse 15, are the same verbs that are used extensively in the rest of the scriptures for the priest, who show up later on in Israel's story. The priests are there to serve, to wait on God, and also to keep or to guard the law, which means to take it to heart, to meditate on it, and also teach it to the people. So it's kind of interesting here in Genesis 2.15, the purpose of man is said to serve and to keep. And so they're imagined, Adam and Eve, as somewhat the first priest living in this garden of goodness that God creates. And God gave man all the fruit of the trees to eat except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And, you know, at first that seems kind of strange. Why wouldn't God want man to know good and evil? So far in the story, God is the one who knows what is good and not good. And he wants man to live and to not die. But he says if man eats of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil... He will die. And that plants the seed of a question. Does man want what God wants? And will he honor and obey what God commands? That's a question that is left unanswered 
in Genesis chapter 2 in the garden. As we said, it ends with all the goodness and the rest that says man and woman were naked and unashamed. Pray with me now, please. Our Creator, God of the garden, you scooped us from dust, took us from the ground, shaped us like clay, and breathed the breath of life into us. You took us from man and shaped us into living beings made of like nature and material. You gave us good things to eat. You saw that among all the goodness, we were still alone when we don't have relationships and you saw it wasn't good. You know all things good and what isn't good. You know how we get confused and often can't tell the difference. You commanded us to keep faith and to serve you. God, thank you for relationships and for life. Thank you for man and woman, for creating us and bringing us together. Every one of us, God, are here as the union between a man and a woman at some point in time. Train me, God, to trust you, to keep your commands, to know your goodness. In the garden, I learn, God, just how well you plan and provide and purpose me to fully live. I praise you and serve you today. In Jesus' name, amen. When we tell the same basic story, but do it from a completely different angle, like Genesis 2 does, we learn new things. God is almighty creator, certainly. He is also a caring gardener and a crafter of people. He knows good, and he knows what isn't good. These are just a few things that this second story of creation teaches us. Even the fact that there is a second story teaches us that often one story isn't enough to capture the enormity of what God is doing. This is a pattern that we will see repeated many times in the Bible. We have two stories of creation, not in contradiction, but in harmony talking about the same event, but from different angles. Later, we have two accounts of the law being given, one in Exodus and one in Deuteronomy. The book of Deuteronomy literally means second law. We have two parallel histories of Israel and Judah, the books of First and Second Kings and the books of First and Second Chronicles, which tell the same stories, but in slightly different ways. And then, in the New Testament, we have four Gospels, or extended stories, about the life of Jesus. It seems God has a lot of stories to tell us, and even parallel versions of the same story. If you step back from the Bible, the same truth applies to you. The story of your life is simple. 
like we saw in the first few episodes when we looked at Samuel's story. And I encouraged you to write down and just think about how would you tell your life story in just one paragraph. But there's also more than one way to tell your story. And God is expert at retelling it and bringing out fresh aspects of your life and what He is up to, what His purposes are in your life. So I want you to spend some time today reflecting on your own story. Look at it from a different angle. How might you do that? There's a lot of, a lot of different angles, a lot of ways to approach this. But I would just ask you, however you told your story the first time, and if you haven't done that, maybe you haven't even heard that episode. If this is the first time you're even hearing this podcast, I would ask you, sit down and try to write out the story of your life in just one short paragraph. Give the bare sort of details, the who, what, where, when of your life and who you are. I also want you to tell you the story of your life again, but from a different angle. Now, here's an example. How might a loving parent tell your story? Or how would someone who is 20 years younger than you tell your story? Whether or not you have children, think about it. How would someone one generation younger, 20 years younger than you, how would they tell the story of your life? Who you are, what you mean, what you what you are in this world, what kind of contribution you are. Write down any insights that you have or that you gain in a journal after you've done this. As I mentioned in the last episode, so much of what we read in the Bible can be traced back to the beginning of the story in the first few chapters in Genesis. So in the next episode, we're going to look at the next chapter in Genesis, and a major new conflict that enters the plot. You won't want to miss it. Story or narrative can be simple on the surface, but there is treasure buried beneath the surface. I hope you're seeing that and also gaining a deeper view of God and His nature from our time together. Let me hear from you if you're being helped or impacted by this podcast. You can Find me at wordofprayer.com. That's with dashes, word-of-prayer.com. As well as on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We have social media channels. You can find Word of Prayer there as well. You can support our podcast by checking out our books on Amazon or browsing our Etsy store with products that are inspired by these episodes. For links to these, check out our show notes in the program description or go to wordofprayer.com. Let God make you alive to how He's telling your story today. Blessings.